Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of the day it is. Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listener on the New Books Network. Today we've got a tremendously interesting guest, Mr. Anjay Nidoma, who's the co-founder of XTRF Translation Management Systems. Uh, I could try to introduce you, Anjay, but I'm sure you'll do a better job than me. How do you describe yourself to someone you meet at a social engagement or a, or a business networking event? Sure, sure. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, uh, I have two hats. Uh, first one is I'm CEO of XTRF Management System, and this is the tool which helps companies automate and manage translation projects uh, worldwide. Uh, and the other hat, uh, the other hat I wear is uh, the mentor and advisor hat. Through my private uh, business activity in Nedoma.io, I support CEOs and uh, entrepreneurs in their growth in their development, uh, personally and uh, business-wise. Mm. And I, I, in my introduction, I should have uh, mentioned my co-host and friend, business partner, Kimon Fontakidis. Kimon is here with us. And Kimon, maybe, how did you get to meet Anjit? Do you remember when you first met him? Oh, good question. And I actually do. I actually remember it very well. So yeah, I, I, I've known Anjit for a long time. Uh, and Anjit, you were so young. I guess I was also young, <laughs> but I remember meeting you in, uh, in Italy with your dad and you might, I drove to this, this is actually good for like entrepreneurship stuff. I was like the CEO of Argos and I drove from, and I guess you did the same thing, but I drove from Krakow to Rimini. And I think I was giving, yeah, I was giving a presentation. I guess I was giving a presentation there. And uh, there was a translation conference basically. And I met uh, you and your dad and yeah, I was just like, so you guys were like, and you're both from Krakow. And I'm like, oh, wow, you guys are from Krakow. And like your dad was super nice. And and I remember you, I remember him introducing and saying, oh, my son, he speaks like seven languages. I'm not sure if that's right. Seven languages. But it sounded like he spoke a lot of languages. Um, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really a funny moment. It was probably the first conference, international conference in which I participated, you know, assisting my father. He was leading a translation company. Uh, himself and I joined him and this was right after I returned from Italy where I did my Erasmus part of stu- studies. But how old were uh, you like 20? Were you like how old? You were yeah, really young. I, was I remember 20, you but being probably like... I was looking like 15. Huh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was really looking young. Uh, this was this is my problem for, for quite a long time. Uh, so I was looking much younger than I was uh, and yeah but it was very successful conference at the end but yes that, that was when we met uh, yeah. and that's uh, that's probably also the moment where I meet lots of, uh, you know, uh, international crowd from the language industry because it was literally the first conference we. Yeah. And did you guys drive there as well? Just I just I like. Oh yes, part of this. Yeah. So part of this story, Andre, is always like we like to like we hope that there's people listening who are thinking about being entrepreneurs and they're interested in it, and we always talk about how the hard work. Like this is like the the not sexy like part of it. Like drive. I don't know. It's like an 18 hour drive. I mean, it's not like a fun thing to do <laughs> to go for like a I, one day conference. Yeah. Um, well, I must I, say I love driving. So, <laughs> so it was, it was not bad. Uh, I enjoyed this and, you know, I just came back from 
Italy like three months before. So it was a great opportunity to come back. And uh, I really liked that. Um, what was funny about driving there is, of course, we had a small car, you know, back then. Uh, and when we arrived to this conference center or hotel or whatever it was, I, I saw so many uh, dark Mercedes limousines. And I said to myself, oh, wow, if this is how translation industry looks, uh, you know, in the Western <laughs> countries, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's great to be in this industry. Uh, later, after a few years, you know, I was talking with the organizer, like we met like on this occasion. And, and, and I asked about this these limousines there. And he told me that at the same time, there was like a medical conference in the same hotel. So this was probably them. The... <laughs> it definitely wasn't the translation. Yeah. I think I was came in my Ford Focus. I'm not sure what I came in. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, also our car. So Ford Focus was what we had. And we saw all these Mercedes. I said, wow, that's really, that's really great. It's interesting. So, so, um, so you, you're, <laughs> you were working for your or with your father who had a translation business. And I don't think we met in Italy, but I certainly remember meeting your father way back. So occasionally I would go with Kimon to business events. And sometimes we ask where the sort of entrepreneurial spirit comes from, but your father was an entrepreneur, I suppose. So did you always know you were going to have a business when you were growing up? Was that like the role model? Or was it that moment in Italy where you suddenly saw all these limousines and thought, aha, maybe business is for me because it can be like this? I, I always knew I wanted to have a business. I always knew I wanted to manage people and be the leader. That's, uh, that's sure. Uh, of course, you know, the, the business that my father had at that time was, was basically a one-man show. So he was doing translations. And when, uh, when I was growing up, basically, it was in our apartment that he was uh, doing this activity. So I was assisting already uh, in various activities that he was uh, managing himself. And when I returned from Italy, this was exactly the moment when we said, OK, I'm ready to join full time right now. But we are going to build a business out of this, which means, uh, you know, move out, hire people and, and basically build the structure and start to grow this as a, as a company. So this is uh, this is how we started. My father, of course, was the role, was the role model. He was the guy who had the courage to start this. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was happy I could join him and we could draw, draw it. Together. So how did you this is like super interesting. Actually, I didn't. I don't know the story, even though I've known you for a long time. We never talked about this. How did you, um, I mean, so you didn't, what did you study or like, what was your background? Like, what made you, yeah, I started entrepreneurial? The where's the entrepreneurial other than your, obviously your father was, was, was doing it. What, what was your background before that? Yeah. Okay. So, so I was studying, uh, management and technology at the technology university in Krakow, uh, with the specialty in, uh, entrepreneurs finance. Um, so I had this inclination to, uh, you know, management and I love math, uh, you know, so I was, I was really, uh, into the mathematics during my, uh, primary school and secondary school. So, so gradually I, I went, uh, into all that was really, uh, strict science. And since my father was doing a lot of technical translations as an engineer, uh, and the culture of foreign languages was in our uh, home, of course. So I had this idea that if I study technology and business at the same time, we would kind of naturally uh, use it to grow the translation business. I didn't really want to be the translator, even though I did some translations, you know, in my early days uh, to, to earn my first car. But, uh, but yeah, I was more interested in business. And 
Sometimes it's kind of complicated working in a family business, maybe not sometimes, but always, because there's a question of how decisions get taken and whether it's professional, what your relationship is as the son of the owner with other staff who might disagree with you. And can, can you describe a bit the sort of the, the family dynamic? Did you see it as a challenge and did you have workarounds or was it were you so yeah. young you, you didn't even think about it from other other team members' point of view? Uh, probably I didn't look at this that way because I was the first one who was, fi- uh, who was hiring the first person, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I said, we want to grow the business and I said, I will hire the first project manager who will help us. And then I was managing the production team, well, working as a project manager with them at the same time, but, but growing the production team um, uh, as well as their head of production. So I was basically involved in building the team from the very beginning. So even though I was young and I was looking even younger, I didn't really have a problem to say, okay, this is the team that I'm uh, right, manager. you weren't brought in to daddy's business, the, the, and you know, as the, now Got this it. is the nepotism. Yeah. This is my yeah, son. That, you built it was not it. my case. You built it so, with him. But what's interesting for me, and, and like, and I still can't wrap my head around, is because you were young. I mean, like, so you, so you, you went that you had college, right? And which, well, I'll be curious if you felt like you got any preparation for running a business from your for university. Because you were all of a sudden doing real stuff. I mean, managing people and hiring people and probably having meetings and talking to clients yeah. and like, I mean, like, all of a sudden. <laughs> so, well, like, yeah. Uh, now what was I've, the fact that like, you just naturally, it was just like natural for you. You, know, you just was, knew you had to I do all really, that. Yeah, it probably was kind of natural, but of course I had to learn it uh, and sometimes the hard way. But uh, yeah, I was reading a lot, trying to look for information, trying to look for inspiration. Um, uh, by the way, you know, uh, meeting people like we did in Rimini, uh, it was very eye-opening. There was one guy um, who um, later created together with us a VR association, so Roberto Ganzerli. Sure, I know uh, Roberto well, super nice. Yeah, guy. so, so Roberto. Roberto was manager of Arancho at that time, and um, or the owner of Arancho, uh, the translation company from Italy. And I really liked speaking with him. Because he said, Andrew, if you want to see how my business is working, just come and, you know, come and see, uh, join me in the office. And, uh, and uh, first of all, I, I realized that, wow, in the Western countries, uh, business people are really open to share knowledge and to share experience. They are not afraid that we are kind of competing with them. They knew that they have their customers and that we have our, our customers. And and by discussing, we can really learn from each other. Well, probably I learned much more from him than he did for me. <laughs> but um, this was uh, this was surely the guy that uh, helped me a lot and showed me that uh, you know translation is a company, a translation business is a company, and this company is my product. So I should work on this company rather than in this company. He was the first guy who told me that, um, and uh, I took it from there. But of course, you know, there were lots of other inspirations, books and, uh, uh, you know, whatever source of knowledge I could get. Yeah, I I think there's a lesson here. Whatever sector you're in, whatever branch you're in, uh, finding yourself good role models and mentors or point and maybe not role models because you don't necessarily copy the people you learn from. But at least you've got a point of reference. And very often it is surprising how many people are willing to share what they what they know 
it makes someone feel useful and valuable if they're a previous generation and they can pass on their way of doing things. So what it, there, and not everyone will be open and maybe people say no, but asking people to become your kind of mentor and to help you can be incredible, incredibly valuable. So, so you learned a lot from that. Did you have other like role models of the type that you said when you were a teenager, you wanted to be a leader and a, you knew you wanted to have a business. Did you have people from the media, like sort of Steve Jobs type people who you looked up to? Were there any, any particular people you felt that would, if I was that person, then I would be, then I would be successful. Yeah. You know, I was, I was looking at, at many of them uh, and probably I don't really have the memory of anyone particular from the past. Of course, you know, Steve Jobs would be like a natural, uh, great example. Um, but you know what really the, the people who really marked me um, were uh, the people that I met like a few years ago through podcasts or through books or uh, or YouTube, uh, you know, movies. Um, and um, uh, let me uh, record the name here. Anthony Robbins will be probably the biggest influencer on myself. So, so the person that really shaped me somehow. But after Anthony Robbins, you've got Eric Thomas, you've got uh, uh, David Goggins, uh, really fantastic guy, Jim Rohn. Uh, so people who are really very active in uh, inspiring business people, motivating business people, giving them the power or the courage to take new challenges, to plan their life, to plan their uh, activity. So yeah, there are lots of uh, lots of these types of people. We'll try, but, we'll but, you know, from let's 20 go, years let's... ago, it would be hard for me to remind uh, whom who that was. But one thing I, I remember very well, I was really not happy with the status quo. I, I, I always wanted to do something. I wanted to grow. I wanted to do uh, what I saw, you, you know, from the Western countries, because we were traveling a lot with my partners. And uh, since I was very young, so it was great, and probably this uh, this would be, if I think about this right now, this would be really the big influence. As we were, yes. you know, uh, traveling with our, uh, you know, uh, camping car or ho- however you call it, uh, and we were traveling across Europe, I could see lots of interesting people who seemed so, uh, you know, well off to me, so interesting, so educated, so. Uh, you know, well organized in life, in business, and um, I could see lots of them. Probably they were really pushing me to, to get there. I wanted to be like one of them. Interesting. So, so have, have I, you? I, I totally uh, agree with that. Have you have you got there now? Do you feel you are like? I mean, you you come across. You've obviously you have been successful. We'll come on to your business career and what you're doing now. But you know, to the outside world, you look like you've kind of. Maybe you're not living the dream, but you've certainly achieved a level of professional success and status in life. Do you, are you are you happy with the status quo now, or are you still pushing yourself to go on? To... Yeah, now, now it's now it's different different thing, right? Of course, I'm happy where I am, but I I see I can do much more. Uh, you know, the motivation is different, right? But back then, I I didn't want to feel like I'm only from Poland. I just wanted to feel like I'm part of Europe. I'm part of the world, and probably this is what I can feel right now because we have a very international business and serving lots of clients across basically, uh, you know, uh, several continents, uh, over 50 countries. So we are internationally. I can, I can, I can, I can actually, that's something you and I have in common actually, because actually if I had to sort of like say thank you to my parents, I, 
that would be the thing like you know i grew up in okay whatever in america which is actually very much more mono at least in particularly when i grew up in the 70s and 80s much more monocultural actually it's a lot more international even now but like the, you know, I was going to Europe and, and I think, to, you know, a lot throughout my childhood, I was going to Europe, I was seeing these different cultures and, and, and I grew up in a sort of multicultural environment. And I, and I, I, I totally agree with, I mean, I think that's, that was a, that was a major influence because it sort of opens your eyes to other things as well. Um, and particularly, and look, now we ended up, I mean, and, and if you see anybody in this industry, in the translation industry, they are very sort of like, you know, they're mixed and they've lived in other places and very often they're married to people from other countries and they, they're not living in the country where they're from. And and so I think there's definitely something there's something to that. Yeah, exactly. So 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 we got inspired by this multinational uh, well, surroundings, right? Atmosphere, uh, culture around us. It was it was great. And of course, you know, uh, the, the more I could live it, the, the more I liked it. Uh, with languages, with tastes, with kitchen, with uh, with people, uh, you know. Also, the opportunity of studying in Italy was was eye opening to me. I, I really felt like, wow, I have a big chance of doing something amazing. And when I arrived there, I have met so many students from from all over the world, and they were saying, "Yeah, we are now in Italy, but you know, before I was working in uh, in Kuwait, and then I go to China, and I was in in Peru." They said, "Wow, so so." It's not like the end, you know, you can do much more of that and you can really, really cool. live very international life. Uh, and I love that. So, so probably I was like naturally looking for the way to have this international life. And yeah, uh, having the business was part of it. So, so for our, old, our older Polish listeners, this is you're, you're part of the first generation who really wasn't sort of held back by the communist system that when you were growing up, if you're an ambitious young Pole, it's the same for my kids now, but they're younger, uh, obviously, than you are now, but they're part of this generation for whom being Polish wasn't a tremendous disadvantage, right? That, you know, you could travel, you could do what normal European people did. And that, but I think if I think about some of the things that made Poland strong, was so many Polish people really appreciated that chance and somehow took more advantage of it than people from a country with a less troubled history. Yeah, so, so surely we had this hunger, right? Uh, and it was basically also our story. You know, my father started his professional career in 91 uh, and his business as a translator and, and building his translation company in 91 because this was when the communism collapsed and it was finally possible. Uh, and of course, we had this, you know, uh, strive and will and strength to, to uh, go past the borders and see more and do more. So, so probably this energy that he had, and it was, you know, quite a challenge at the beginning, right, for him. Oh, for sure. uh, I was seeing this because it was happening, as I said, in our apartment. So uh, he surely kind of passed on this energy to me, and I was just taking it further. Andrzej, let's talk a little bit about, um, so you, 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 you're telling us, like, the business history, and I think that there's a lot of interesting nuggets in here for us to understand. Cause so you, so, so, but now I understood that you actually were, like, the, basically, you were the first employee and the, the manager, basically, or whatever you want to call it. You were the top guy, and you were, like, build, helping your dad build this business. So take us through the period of time where you, obviously, you built it up to some point, and then 
you decided to sign up on, or I don't know, I guess you, you, you built some technology at the same time and then you decided to spin it off. Maybe you can just talk about that piece because I think that's like super yeah. interesting. Sure. So, you know, our, um, our growth um, was really um, challenging when you look at the way we were managing projects and the, and the way we were managing clients. Uh, and it was really based on notes and book notes and some uh, some board on which we're uh, attaching information about projects and they were moving across stages on this board. Um, but the more project managers we had, the more they were kind of disturbing in each other in organizing these boards or organizing the book note with all, all the projects. And I knew we have to do something about this. Um, my first um, answer was, I took the Microsoft Access, which I didn't knew. Uh, I just bought a book and said, okay, I will build a, a small system out of it. And this is what I did. And so we had our first internal system that I did. I don't really know how, but uh, as I said, uh, I love mathematics <laughs> and this was like pretty mathematical challenge for me. So I did that. But as we were growing, we realized that working on this same database uh, by many people at the same time, is becoming um, uh, quite a challenge because we're Unstable. not like, uh, you know, everything was uh, in the cloud back then. It was not like that. So we didn't have Google Excel spreadsheet or stuff like this. So we were re really looking for a technology to implement in our, in our business. And uh, we couldn't find one. Uh, and I really did quite the research back then. Um, and because of not seeing something that would really uh, fit in our business. Well, we saw one which was quite okay, but not really. And it was expensive like hell, at least from our perspective back then. So I said, maybe we should think about this. And, and I have drawn an idea of how this system could look like and what it could do. And uh, SA Lidolang, this was the name of our transition company. SA Lidolang, we were part of the group that was called Eulogia. And Eulogia had one representative uh, per each European language in this group. So we were representing Polish, but there were lots of other languages from Europe represented there. So it was like a friendly crowd of 20-something CEOs discussing uh, you know, about their challenges uh, in running the business. And I shared with them this need for technology that we experience and lack of this and the idea about this. And they loved it. Um, and uh, this was the moment which inspired us to uh, think of a spin-off, well, technology spin-off uh, that we would create. So building a technology that, well, everybody loved this, so surely everybody would buy very easily. And my uh, you know, idea was that if they are so excited about this business, they will surely be the early adopters, early buyers, so they will help us finance uh, that. It didn't happen. <laughs> None of them bought uh, <laughs> in the first years. Then, indeed. But sorry, uh, I just understand because I'm really curious. So you built, you were building iterations of this system for your own business, or you had already spun it off and were trying to. What, I, I'm just a no, little bit confused. Didn't, we didn't start before we had this discussion with this team, uh, but after this discussion, you know, without taking any commitments from anyone. Uh, I was crazy, right? Uh, I decided, <laughs> let, let's go for it. Um, and we were financing, of course, the development from the profits that we were generating in the, in the translation company. 
uh, hoping that soon we will get the first clients. Um, as I said, it, it wasn't as easy as I thought at the beginning. Now, majority of this group is our clients, which is great. <laughs> uh, but it really happened many, many years later. Um, so uh, we were building the technology already with the vision of selling it to other companies, even though the process took, took much longer than I expected. And it was only after a few years that we said, okay, now this product uh, and in fact uh, the organization is mature enough to separate it from the translation company and we have split the companies in, uh, in 2010. And that was the point where you, like, did you stop work? So what were you doing? Were you doing exclusive, were you doing everything? Were you doing running the translation company, helping doing that plus doing the tech and then and then I was, was working that... a lot. <laughs> I was working a lot. I was doing both. So I yeah. was really I was really growing the translation company, but at the same time I was growing the technology company, uh, which wasn't easy, uh, of course. Uh, uh, but uh, well, uh, I didn't have an idea how to do it otherwise. So right. I was really working a lot, building both. And of course, it was very interrelated, right? Because uh, we needed money from one company to sponsor the other business. So I was motivated to work on both. I, I, I definitely have the sense that you know the theory of business. We'll come on to your coaching business, but I looked at some of the topics on your on your website and you mentioned it, how important it was to work on the business rather than in the business. You learned that from the Italian. Uh, was that theory that you found hard to put into practice that in principle you knew you should be working on the business and in fact you work deeply in the business? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So when I, uh, when I look back into my uh, you know, business experience, yes, I, I have spent much too many years working in the business that, uh, that on the business. So when I you know, advise about this, uh, coach about this uh, other uh, entrepreneurs. I really understand in which situations they are. I can, I can feel their emotions, uh, how attached they are to, to doing lots of things themselves. I've been there. Uh, it was much too long. So yes, I, I've had my lesson. Yeah, and uh, so, well, thank you for the honesty. And on leadership, um, now you give advice and you write articles about how to be a leader. Uh, if you look back at how you were a leader back then, would you have done everything the same? What sort of leader were you and what would you have done differently if you look at the kind of leader you were in, in, in both companies? Yeah, you know, I, I like leading from the front, which means that uh, I'm also, you know, uh, together with my people feeling responsible for what we do in front of our clients. Even though, as we said, you know, uh, being too much in the business um, doesn't really allow you to work on the business. So, uh, what I what I feel is really important is to understand that when you are a leader uh, and you can do things, this is great. But but you should really grow your team and help them be as good and better than you in in their uh, you know uh, fields of uh, uh, expertise or, or or domains of interest within the organization, so that you help them grow and through this the, the whole organization grows rather than then you are the one that really is with everybody and helping everybody uh, with lots of activities that, that, that's quite sort of general can you give some like specific things or tips and tricks if someone's listening and they want to put that into reality so because that sounds very like normal common sense are there any things which are very sort of specific to you like things that you do as a leader or you recommend other people do that bring that 
sort of bringing the best out of other people, finding people smarter than you into reality? Any t any lessons that people could learn? Practical advice? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I see it many times. For example, when, when managers promote people to leader roles, right? They are often afraid that they might not accept it or they might not be up to the level and they offer their help. And they tell them, no, rather, if you are hiring someone to manage a team or to be the uh, team lead or director or manager, ask them how they want to build this area of your organization, put the responsibility on their shoulders, ask them for opinion, for the plan, for the strategy, you can discuss the strategy with them, but let them do the work. If you empower someone, he will grow as well um, uh, together with the company. Uh, and I see lots of times when people delegate, but still keep a lot of control on what's going on. Um, I think this is um, what, we should, uh, what we should avoid. When there are hard situations, when there are hard decisions to make, well, mentor, your people, your managers with right questions uh, so that they arrive to this decision and they are able to execute on this decision rather than take the ownership and help them uh, do it uh, in their place. So it's really about, uh, you know, being as a mentor who leaves the space to someone for the execution of the tasks, rather being the uh, manager who is eager to help and do something in their um, place. Yeah, you need to get, the, you need to let them grow and develop by themselves rather than micro exactly. whatever, try to teach them the way. Listen, I want to go back to the entrepreneurship because so like basically it sounds like you really helped your dad a lot in setting up his business, but then you, your entrepreneur, like your true, like your thing came when you were like, you took on this tech piece and you said, I'm going to build this tech. And I mean, I'm not even, I, a curious question would be, was there ever any stress or conflict with, Hey son, you're, you're bleeding the company out of money for this tech project. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I, we can ask, I, we can answer that if you want to or not, but I just find it interesting. So you, but the, I, is it true? Would it be accurate to say at some point you said, this is my heart. This is my soul. This is the thing I want to focus on. And it, and did you actually split at that point and just say you're focusing exclusively on, or were you always, did you always keep your hand in the translation uh, pie? I, you know? I was kind of, you know, feeling responsible for what I'm doing to the translation <laughs> business as well. So, um, and you know, my father had his age and it was, uh, you know, and he was getting older rather than younger. So, so of course I felt like, you know, I have to help him with my energy as well. Um, yeah. So I was there. Um, and this is why, you know, I was really happy when we came to the agreement that it's really a good moment to sell the business, to sell the translation business. Okay. Because this was the moment where I could really focus on the technology, right? Because otherwise I was really working a lot, uh, maybe uh, over hours. Okay, so sure. you were really doing, see, I see, as I said, I don't know your story. So you were basically running both of these companies, um, pretty much. I was, yeah, I was, I was heavily involved for, for a long time. But you know, as we were growing and I was probably more mature in my way of understanding management, leadership and, and business in general, uh, we really came to a very nice structure in the translation company. So I could really move to the 
to the top level position who is much less engaged in the operations or not at all engaged in the daily operations, but really focusing on the on the strategic aspects and, and the growth uh, aspects of the whole company, which means I, I wasn't really, uh, you know, uh, stopping the execution of anything during the day if I'm not there or I'm, I'm busy with other things. Um, so the company, because it was growing and developing this structure and really professionalizing the way it was operating, was also at the same time getting more and more ready to be bought or to be sold, mm-hmm. um, which was a good thing because this is where we arrived at the end. And this was also one of my goals. <clears throat> okay. So you end up, so basically, can you just give us what year, what are we talking about now? When did that happen? When did you finally get? Yeah, we sold, we sold the translation business in 2016, so five years ago. Okay. But at which point did you, um, you said, but, and then at which point did you split? You split the companies well before that, right? Yeah. Like the, yeah. In 2010. Yeah. Okay. And then at which point did you go at, and, and, and start to get um, VC? money was that before yeah so this was so this was the moment where my orientation had to be really much more on one side than the other side well, we're in 2014 we got the vc in the technology business uh we got the vc investment of course i had to dedicate uh well basically my like full working day to xd ref and what was what i was doing for the translation business could could be on top of that but uh it couldn't really uh you know uh, hamper or somehow, somehow um, put in danger any operations that I was uh, leading in uh, XTRF. Can, can, can yes, sorry. sorry. Go I was just saying, can you just say a few words about the process of selling selling the business? That I, we, we want to focus more on your current business, but uh, roughly how big was the translation business when you sold it? And are there any things that, again, you could share. It could be just like a funny story about, you know, the process of selling a company is quite a personal thing, right? It's your baby. You build it with your dad. And just like anything you'd like to share about that story that people might not hear from someone who hadn't done it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing some presentations on this as well. So uh, so it's a topic I, I really love. Indeed, it's like a selling uh, your own baby. So this is why it's good to have some advisors or some, uh, you know, consultants in this process, uh, because it's hard. And, and basically, the, the biggest problem is because it's our baby, we value it so much uh, uh, that we might be surprised when we get the first offers from the market. <laughs> the market doesn't. What my what like, my baby? Who's my baby's <laughs> ugly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's the uh, it, it can be it can be challenging, and I'm sure it is challenging from lots of owners. Who, who just want to engage in selling themselves they, their own uh, business, um, especially that you know the buyer has some strategy uh, and some story about why he wants to buy this business and uh, and the, how they attach value to this business can be really very different, right? It can be it can be because they, they want to buy customers because they want to buy technology because they want to buy people they want to buy location they want to buy the network suppliers well, it can be lots of things um, uh, or because it fits somehow in their strategy and and of course the strategy can also uh, have different uh, let's say um, versions um, so um, the understanding of value is the first uh, first challenge uh, but the second one maybe even more important is if this business is really ready to be sold, 
because quite often we see uh, entrepreneurs who are still in the heart of the operations, who are still in the heart of the business, uh, or maybe the business is small, so the so the structure is really very heavily depending on the founder, on the owner, on the owner. So in that case, selling this business can also be the challenge. So when we think about selling the business first, it's really, uh, you know, preparing the organization so that you are kind of redundant, so that you can really leave it and put other owner or other top manager on top of this and the business will be still uh, running. And then when we talk about the question of pricing, well, you also have to understand how the price is built or the value of the of the company is built. And it can be, uh, you know, attached to different uh, parameters, different uh, KPIs, so-called key performance indicators. It can be a bid die, it can be net profit, it can be turnover. And then we multiply this by something, right? So it's important to understand depending on which type of business you sell, to understand basing on which are we going to base the evaluation and what's the typical multiple that we can count on. So when it's a bid, maybe it's four, maybe it's six, maybe it's eight. When it's revenue, maybe it's time one or times two, or rather not times 10. So it's really, it's really depending on the type of business because of course in technology, like in XTRF, we do it totally different way than we did in, uh, in the translation company. And then the process is, um, is pretty straightforward, but still because of this emotional aspect, it, it really calls for a good consultant. First, of course, uh, you build the story why you want to sell and what value you see in your business for potential buyers and why would they be interested in buying this. And basing on this, you can build a long list of potential buyers. Um, engage in discussions with this long list of potential buyers you typically send to them what's called a teaser like a very short document very short description um presenting your uh, company in very sorry it's interrupt on i'm just curious did you guys use a, a consultant when you sold the company did you have somebody yes, that helped were. you yes and that was valuable and that was and that was a valuable Part of the, you felt like that was a valuable. Yeah, part. you know, it was the first time I was I was selling the business, so uh, we really didn't know uh, how to how to do it. Uh, we were. Was it a po was it a Polish consultant or was it someone from the industry from, from the translation? It was, it was Polish consultant, right? It was not from the industry, hmm. so it was more. Oh, of a what do you think about that? So, what's your opinion about that? Is it better to get somebody that knows the translation in so like the industry that you're in? Or is it, is it okay to get a general? Today, yeah, today I would choose a different consultant. I would choose differently. <laughs> I think someone from the industry could yeah. provide a lot of value because of understanding the business very well and being able to present the value to the potential buyer uh, in a much more accurate way. Yeah, they speak the same language, basically. Exactly. Well, it's yeah. like selling anything. When you sell yeah. anything, you have to understand what is the buyer situation, what is his strategy, and what is he willing to achieve, right? And basing on this understanding, you can discuss what elements are needed in the product or service for him to achieve his goal, right? And in this case, this product or service is basically your company. So when you understand that, you really can emphasize on those elements which you discovered are important for the buyer. And as we say, the more we understand the business, the more we understand the situation of the buyer, uh, the more 
positive light we can put on the elements which are uh, right. most potentially important for him. So, that's so I mean, like, the, I just want to jump a little because you, I mean, like, Andre, I have to tell, say, you have amazing experience because, like, the things you've done, so you've so like, you've done lots of things that I haven't done. Like, you've sold your company, but you've also... I, 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 and I don't, I'm very curious about the, um, the VC, like what made you, because that's another thing I never uh, went through and I'm actually interested in it. I'm interested in the process. And, you know, and you, I want to go into that story as well, because I think that's an interesting, uh, unusual story as well. But let's just start at the beginning. So like, I can't, I can't remember, I used to like 2014 or whatever the year was. What was the initial, I mean, what was the reasoning behind deciding to go for VC because you were pretty, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that was pretty standard. I mean, it was established business. Um, I'm not sure. Was it for just growth? Uh, it was for what, what was the, what was yeah. the, the, the strategy there? Yeah. VC is typical for, for growth, but you know, we have a, a expert here on, on the panel. So, uh, Richard surely knows a lot about this, but I will tell you my story. I'll tell you my story, how I, how I looked at it. So, when we were growing exterior business, we were selling licenses for our software because this is how we priced it, right? We, we count the seats, how many seats um, or people are going to use our software and this is how we calculate the price. But back then we were selling licenses like everybody was buying licenses of Windows and you know Microsoft right. Office and we we're so used to it, um, which is quite a nice transaction because when you sell it, you get, get the money on your bank account and you can basically sponsor your growth or existence of the business uh, you know, right after the transaction. So this is nice. Uh, however, we saw a huge potential in uh, what was called so SaaS or software as a service, which is a model where you rent licenses rather than you buy this. This is particularly attractive for the software company because it kind of um, um, stabilizes the financial situations or allows for a huge predictability of the financial situations because it's like renting apartments. You know how many of them you have. And basically every month or every quarter, people are paying for this. So you can really plan your finances because you know more or less what is the income that you can expect apart from those who will drop and you will lose them and those who will come as new customers, of course, right? This will be the, the changes in the, in the revenue. Um, but to shift from selling to rental is uh, quite a financial challenge because when you stop selling, you stop having this nice high income at the moment of the transaction, right? That you can use to sponsor the existence right. of the business because you start renting. And, and if someone decides to pay a month or a quarter, then you get much less money that you were getting from the transaction. So at the end, it's a great game. It will be very profitable, but at the beginning, when you do this shift, you really have a big hole, big lack of money. And you basically need to fill this hole with some other money. And, and this is why we wanted uh, VC. Okay. And then how was that? Because the, cause that, and then what, how, how long were you, uh, and then, but you know, with VC, then I guess there's expectations that you're going to do further rounds of investment and then ultimately create an exit because those people are not investing if they're not intending to. So what was the, what, did you, I don't know, I don't know the story. Did you do multiple rounds of, uh, of investment or? or, or yeah, I, it... I, I, I don't want to share too much here uh, of this story. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a complex story, I must say. No, we did, uh, we did only uh, two rounds with them, right? So, okay. so both of the rounds were guaranteed in the first contract. 
-hmm. and we used the two rounds uh, with the same investor. Um, the uh, concept was, of course, uh, you know, high growth and uh, uh, bringing with this money the company to the moment where we are profitable and financially independent. So in our plan, we didn't have like uh, a very modern modern models right now that we take the money, we have this so-called runway of 12 months or 18 months, and we get another round in 12 right, months, right, and right. we yeah. have a, a longer runway again. This wasn't the model in which we were okay in fact okay. buying in uh so so we looked at this from a kind of different uh, level of understanding i would say because the vc market was pretty uh young uh, back then and our understanding of this was also very young um and we were by the way the first investment of this vc company so we're all young in this situation <laughs> this um, was this was kinga's company kinga's yeah yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, which probably, you know, was a, a huge learning for all of us because we were learning, you know, how it should look uh, as we were going. And as the business was running, probably a much, uh, you know, better assumption was would be really to uh, to prepare the company for um, uh, bringing more investors as the time was going by. Uh, but we, we did it the other way. So we brought the company to financial uh stability and uh, financial independence um and we're continuing to grow on our own uh well uh, expenses and possibilities because i think what's incredible yeah. what's incredible about that story again added to the list of things that i'll probably never do was that then you managed to buy back because I, I don't yeah. think that's like the normal like that's like it's such a i think it's such a cool story i mean like or whatever i don't know that again i don't want you to if there's any details yeah. that we are not allowed yeah, to know about a, i'm trying to cool ask story. for anything i just think it's interesting that's the only it's reason it's a cool I'm... story absolutely it's a cool story especially that you know as we said this uh this vc market is pretty young in poland and probably lots of companies uh that got the v vc investment didn't do as well as we did so when we do the rankings and when we're looking at the rankings uh, there are lots of those who do not generate profit or do not even generate turnover so right. so the fact that we have managed to stabilize the company and grow the company and come to a, such a profitability, which allowed us to um, place an offer for buyout of our investors. It was fantastic. Well, this offer was accepted. So, so it was really fantastic that we could have not only realized our growth strategy, uh, maybe uh, uh, less uh, rapid or dynamic than we planned at the beginning, but still a, a very nice growth strategy, and at the same time, the VC uh, have obtained um, a return on, on their investment and this all ended well. Uh, I think it is fantastic. It's surely a, a great experience at the same time. And probably this is part of the reason uh, why I get now the request you know, for advisory, for mentorship, because um, it really started when, when people got to know about this story, like selling the business, bringing investors in, buying out investors this is yeah a lot, you know yeah, it's crazy business, yeah business so tell us so like, what are the takeaways and richard i don't want to be hogging the microphone here but what, what are the takeaways from uh like what are the takeaways like from that process like if you had to do it over again like is there there must be like significant learning that you like learn that you have from that from that piece from that getting vc then exiting the vc and that whole thing what would you or was there maybe there's some details about the contract 
that I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's some things that. Yeah, about the contract. Yeah, about the contracts. We were even thinking about writing a book with my uh, business partner <laughs> about this because there's really lots of things that when you sign this contract as a young entrepreneur, you don't think about. Um, and then you realize as you go what certain things uh, mean or how they affect you or your business or your situation in the business. There is lots of, uh, you know, um, good things and bad things, of course, in such contracts. And, uh, and it's uh, important to be aware of them as you go. But of course, each of, the, each of the deals are different. Each of the situations are different. I think what's important is really to understand what is your strategy and what is the investor strategy. Right. Agree on the model of scaling up, bringing new investors in, managing the company so that you have more or less the common understanding of uh, where you want to go. The more you can, uh, you know, uh, understand of the interest of each of the parties, the more you can be aligned um, and form a good match and good partners. Because when you bring investors in, they become department uh, partner no matter what they say. They are a financial investor or, or, as we often hear, investor who offer wise money or something like this, clever, uh, you know, clever money, whatever it is called, right? So, so not only money, but also advisory, also mentorship. Uh, they become partners and you will work together for many years. Uh, so it's important to understand if your vision of uh, you have of some things, compatibility yeah. with them that you have a compatible vision and probably i assume personality also matters as well personality yeah. understanding of market you mm -hmm. know experience in certain types of business because there is you know more and more mm -hmm. um, distinguished types of business that follow certain strategies growth strategies or or go to market strategies technology strategies so you know the better you match partners especially that there is lots of them right now on the market uh, the better it will be uh, for the company, for you, for the investors, because of course everybody wants to make money out of this, and uh, there is nothing to uh, to hide about this. So I think the more open you are in discussion, and the more you understand each other, other interests, and you can respect that, well, the better um, it will be in, uh, at the end. And, and, and then, Kim, of course, yeah. So I was, was going to say, Kim, don't worry about hugging this. I, I, the questions you were asking are exactly the same ones that I would have asked, and I'm. Thinking about your like your current situation is on the one hand you've you've got the company back under your control. I don't know if you're a hundred percent shareholder or it's basically you're in charge, right? You own it, right? We have we are three founders yeah. and we own one hundred percent back. Yes. Okay. Then you've also got your coaching business and you've got a you've also I, I happen to know you've got a young family. So I'm interested in your and part of what you're doing, which I'm going to ask you about, is your coaching business and you're sharing your 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 consulting or you're sharing your know-how and in terms of your priorities and what you want to achieve next I, mean, I don't know exactly how old you are but i'm guessing you must be 40 or 35 or something in this area thank you maybe? very much I, I i said i'm looking younger than i am i'm 42 right 42 well i was close i was close but you know clearly you've got another 20 30 years of work in you if you want to work you want to keep busy and you're obviously ambitious so you know, why are you doing what you're doing now and what haven't you done yet that you will want to do in the next chapter of your life? Because like right now you've got you've got your hands full. You've got three things, right? XTRF, the coaching and your family. That's a lot. So is there, are there other things ahead of you that you know about that are coming? Uh, 
Uh, you know, there, are, uh, as we say, there are several ga gardens that you take care of, right? There is also your own hobby. There is family, private time, stuff like this. So, yeah, I also have sport, uh, which, uh, you know, guarantees I'm still mentally healthy <laughs> in all these situations. Um, yes, there is good uh, time ahead. Um, all of three of these elements. Well, let's put family aside because, of course, this will be always number one. Um, and uh, what I'm particularly proud of is that uh, the fact that family can be num number one um, is also meaning more and more because as the business is growing and as I'm getting more mature in understanding of my role as the CEO um, of this business um, and also because of the pandemic situations, which is maybe not the, the best uh, way to put it, but pandemic turned us all to work from homes and to, you know, work in a dispersed organization, we could really reshuffle the way we match our uh, work and life balance, the, the, the way we, we find it. Uh, and of course, uh, working a lot when you are not in the office all the time, but quite a lot of time at home may mean that you can do these, uh, you know, 15 minutes breaks uh, to spend some time, uh, uh, with uh, with family or have a coffee together or eat, uh, eat lunch together, even though you're um, very close to your office subjects during the day, you just can uh, match each of them uh, much better. Uh, XTRF is the biggest, uh, you know, um, project I'm running right now. So, of course, it, it uh, occupies a lot of my attention and a lot of my energy goes into XTRF. This is a fantastic company and we have customers, you know, all across the world and there is huge potential ahead of us. And at the same time, the market is uh, moving very quickly. So we also have to move very quickly, but that's technology. So it's natural. Uh, uh, things are moving pretty fast there. And of course, most of my attention is uh, in XTRF. My um, advisory business is kind of coming from the fact that I, I'm spending so much time in my business and I have this experience in the previous businesses because this is really what brings uh, people to talk to me about business perspectives, about business advisory, about uh, help that they might receive from me. Uh, I'm not, you know, a trainer by education. I'm a business person who runs his own business or businesses uh, uh, and because of that, I have the business experience that I can share uh, with people who quite often happen to have the challenges that I have already been through in my professional career. So I would say that the first one really enables the second part, which is yeah. Because for those advisor. that don't, for those that don't know, or just to make it clear, so you XJRF sells uh, software and primarily you're probably your decision makers, decision points are small company owners, which means you are developing relationships. I assume that through that, through XJRF, you've developed tons of relationships with company owners. And so I think by nature, you can also see what their issues, I mean, and XJRF is solving problems as well of their business. So, um, you know, you're under, you, you have a very deep understanding of, uh, and, and, and I assume that that probably, they, they go hand in hand, probably. I mean, I'm sure that you- Yeah, you know, the people who come to me are not only from transition industry, who ask for help, okay. who ask for in the, uh, advisory, but 
uh, but still they go through same challenges in growing their business, whether this is, you know, strategy, international uh, internationalization, managing the structure, organizing the structure of the company. There's lots of, uh, lots of aspects that uh, I can share my experience with or something in relation to exactly VC, raising money, managing relation with a, uh, a business partner or financial partner, uh, preparing for exit. Those are lots of topics that I somehow touched in my professional career and I can help them um, uh, with this. XTRF indeed is working for lots of uh, uh, businesses from, uh, I mean, smaller and medium uh, businesses from the translation industry, but we also sell to corporate clients. Of course, they are kind of different. They are, they are totally um, differently positioned on this market. They are translation buyers. So they look at uh, the processes from the other side, but still we can provide a lot of value. But also this experience, you know, from them surely broadens my understanding on, on the functioning of businesses, functioning of big organizations. So understanding buyers is also something that can be useful for, uh, you know, uh, helping other uh, other companies. And, and but, you're obviously successful. And I, I'm not going to ask you exactly what your net worth is, but I suspect you're you, you're in a good situation for a 42-year-old guy in any country. You're comfortably off, so you're probably not doing the advisory stuff just to earn a few extra thousands what's every month. So, so are you an expensive consultant? How do you, how do you decide how much to charge? If, yeah. someone, if someone comes to you like, I've got some medium-sized Polish companies, a few tens of millions of what of revenue that are doing okay, maybe you can advise them. Would it be expensive to engage you as an advisor? How does it work? Yeah, so, so I, uh, I have been hiring uh, consultants, you know, many times uh, from different countries, because depending on the subject, you, hundred, uh, you hire different consultants. And I basically align my pricing with, uh, with the prices that I know. Um, if this is expensive, I think it's, it's really great value for money, uh, because the, the role that I have is really concentrated during every session on business, not on the small talk, but really on the business. And we try to dig down to the bottom of the problem uh, so that we can really take important decisions about the company through a very um, precise understanding of the situation, of the goal, uh, and of the challenges or strategy of the person who is asking for help. Uh, so probably here, my you know mathematical mind and uh, way of asking questions and being painfully precise <laughs> is really what uh, what brings uh, uh, us with the customer to the to the core of the problem to the uh, and to the right solution at the end because if you define the problem well you're halfway to find the solution as well um, but yes this is a very comfortable situation to say this is not my primary income source um, so I don't have to uh, you know, uh, sell too much of this business or, or or be stressed whether I will have one or two new clients every week. That doesn't matter, you know, from the family uh, standpoint and uh, and our lifestyle. What's your main What's your main motivation, Andrzej, for for setting that up? Actually, well, there is huge motivation. So so when you think about how I would like to be remembered, well, I was at the funeral, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and uh, and. This was this, this sentence that really marked me. Uh, and I took a note during this funeral because someone asked, so how will we remember this person? Who was a pretty famous person. How will we remember this person? And I asked this self myself. Uh, I asked this question myself. So how I would like to be remembered. And uh, 
and back home i was i was trying to put my thoughts about this and this was really um about helping entrepreneurs grow and helping people people grow and achieve their goals and achieve uh, you know better life and uh, the life that they uh, understand that they can to a certain extent plan and execute on the plan so that they define what they want to achieve what's happiness for them what's fulfillment for them and they can help them reach this point much faster so so i would really like to impact many people in this way and i yeah and i find this very fulfilling so so this is really a, a kind of you know whether you call it emotional reward uh but something like this this is this is really it's a way, very, it's a way for you to give back uh to give something back you've got yeah. all this and it's, and it's you know it, it's such a great feeling when you start the session with a person uh there is a set of problems and and you arrive to solutions or you arrive to the situation or to the moment where 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 the the, the person really understand the problem is not there it's something different it was somewhere beyond or uh, or you, a side of what what was called to be Did you problem. ever get to the situation Anjay where you're just like uh just give me a share of your company I'll help you I'm going to I want to work here like I can like like did you ever like want to get involved does it ever I I'd imagine that you could get emotionally uh, I don't know wh what kind of engagements you've had uh well how long they are and stuff like that but I could imagine if with the longer engagement you could almost get emotionally connected to their bit, like cuz you you know you get deeply involved you get to know the person and have you ever wanted to have you ever been close to saying hey maybe I can invest and help you uh not yet uh there are there are some great companies indeed that I could see I could see that way I'm investing in different uh in different things um but yeah I could see this uh, you know as a, as a future uh when I was thinking about this a few years back I I always had this vision that you know 20 years from now I would be uh, owner of a holding which which holds ownerships in different companies that's uh, the question now you're answering because that's what i would that's what richard was trying i think richard was trying to ask before is where because like you are young and you've achieved so much and i guess at some point xtrf i mean i don't know what your plans are for xtrf but i mean clearly there's going to be some other stuff you're going to do more stuff um and so that's so is it is it angel investing is it uh how, how do you what's the what's the dream i mean you don't have to <laughs> we're not signing you up no, to, no, yeah. the, the, this is a contract this is an <laughs> agreement with the world and you, you know it's your agreement with yourself really what's your agreement with yourself um yeah so so as a holding company uh you know you i see myself owning different businesses or or parts in different businesses whether it is through building them together with our with other partners and just be part of that um and you know just putting my uh experience into this business or whether this is buying part of them through whatever setup uh it's it's probably secondary i i surely love you know building things uh and working on strategy and uh, putting something from grounds up um but at the same time as i said this mentoring or coaching or advisory rather than coaching I, i i'm probably not really the coach style i i'm more of mentor and advisor um this is very much in line of this uh, you know organizing companies and helping other entrepreneurs uh, grow whether i'm a part of um, uh, this business or not it's uh, uh, it's not that important so to me you know it it glues together 
pretty uh, nicely. Of course, you know, uh, it evolves over time. Uh, uh, I still see lots of space, you know, for development. Uh, as you said, probably uh, I'm not uh, in a bad situation personally, but still I, I have lots of uh, examples of people uh, who are doing great and who are motivating me. Like, um, uh, you know, the um, uh, Anthony Robbins, uh, the person that I mentioned as, as a certain inspirator of my ideas, he's exactly doing this. He's really impacting thousands, if not millions of people. Uh, and, uh, well, I could see going into this direction so this is what you want to do you want to be tony robbins that's your that's the thought that's the that's it now we finally got it richard we got tony robbins for those who don't know is one of the world's most famous motivational speakers and he's given a wonderful ted talk the why guy and he's got an amazing voice and he does lots of work for charity and he's very successful and so this is you you'll be filling the tower and arena that's the largest stadium in krakow you'll be on the stage with with tens of thousands of people cheering your name international so it's not big enough the tower and arena wembley 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 Wembley, shea stadium shea stadium yeah the um i i i i'll show my age if I say you're, you'll be following Mick Jagger or the Rolling Stones but it's, it's someone very famous will come and then it will be you who's even more famous but that's really cool it's good to dream high no, absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to ask about uh, well no one thing I've ended up investing in businesses going into business with people who've been on the podcast I'm just going to put it out there maybe one day we can have a business together who knows it's like you know I keep me put me on your list of potential people if you come up with an interesting idea um, yeah. because uh, I, I love the idea of people who are who are in different communities different uh, spaces meeting different people who, who who are smart who spot ideas and it's all about, it's obviously about the people and the idea it's not as simple as just you it's the thing as well of course yeah and that's also you know something that I have learned over the years so so it's like uh, you know I'm often asked how can I do so many things apart from XTRF well I'm trying really to build teams and empower my directors and managers to do their thing and uh, and here we come again to the leadership and my leader style, I would really want to mentor them to be great directors uh, because it will surely, uh, you know, empower the whole company to grow much faster than I could do myself. And at the same time, of course, I can uh, I can spend part of my time to other ideas. Um, yeah, so something and, that will challenge me. Well. And are you a competitive person? Did you have brothers and sisters like to win? Did you, uh, do, if you're playing games with your kids, do you anticipate? What? I'm very competitive. Yes, I have. I have a sister. Probably I wasn't really competing with her, but uh, yes, I was. I was competitive since uh, um, you know school. Uh, as I said, the mathematical was my um, uh, thing. Uh, mathematics was my thing, and since I wasn't really good in Polish language, what a funny thing that then I was doing <laughs> translations into Polish, and but I wasn't really feeling too strong in Polish. Uh, I never could predict whether what I'm saying or writing as an essay is good or wrong. So I, I didn't like that. It wasn't precise enough. So I said that if I need to pass an exam to get to the secondary school or to uh, get to the good uh, you know, university, that's a big risk. So how can I do not passing the exams? And I said, well, if I'm good in uh, a certain 
how you how you call it um, subjects. Uh, yeah, subjects, but but then you have subject competitions, right? The, Olympi- the Olympics. You're not yeah, talking about the Olympics. Olympics. The Olympics. Yeah. So if I, if I'm good there, then I'm uh, allowed not to take the exam, and this is this was my plan. So this is what I did with mathematics in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and through being the fifth in the in the south of Poland, uh, I was admitted <laughs> to the secondary school without exam, and I did the same to enter See, the university. See, that's that, that's entrepreneurial. Right there. I mean, it was like you spot, you yeah. found a way, a loophole to... A payback, a yeah. payback for your investment of time and energy. <laughs> and by the way, for those listening, this is something that I know well in Poland, that Poland has this system called the Olympiada, the school Olympics, where there are really big prizes in terms of getting into the school you want or the university you want without exams. So you substitute one exam for another and the Olympics. And it, it, I know people who are like top, top in Cambridge University in the UK working at Google who went through this system and they say it's not entirely healthy the culture it creates there's a negative side to this competition as well as a positive side but it's a big feature of Polish education to this day this Olympic system and you're a beneficiary of this I suppose. Yeah you know this was this was my tactics to avoid uh, a Polish exam right yeah so it was funny because at my seventh grade which was my before last year at, at primary school I was already 22nd uh, in South of Poland, uh, which basically allowed me to be dismissed from the math exam. And I said, well, I'm good at math, so I don't care for math. I want to be dismissed from the Polish exam. So, so I knew that if I'm in top 10 or top 15, I'm, I'm, I'm done. So that's why in year eight, I, I did again the, uh, the concourse, the, the Olympiada, and I was fifth. And I did the same in secondary school to get to the university, by the way. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty competitive, and today this means uh, running Ironman triathlons to me. So uh, I do this as well. That's that's competitive mostly with yourself, though, right? I mean, in terms of trying to beat your own. I mean, I know you're competing against other people, but isn't it somehow? Yeah. Well, are, are, you, are you the are you the toughest Ironman? Like in the ranking of Ironman, you're the you're the the purest Iron. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not. I'm surely not. But, you know, yes, it is about competing with yourself. But I think this is the healthier way of yeah. looking at life, business and everything. Because, you know, I, I was looking uh, and comparing myself to other business people for many years. And you can really get upset because there is so many of them who are ahead of you. And there is ho- so many of them who are much better that it can bring you down, actually, if you always compare yourself to uh, to someone, someone who is ahead. So it's great to be motivated and find mentors there or good examples there. But, you know, it's the best to compare yourself to yourself from last year or from yourself from yesterday. And then you can see the progress and this can... Um, I totally, uh, I totally, to... I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, but it, I totally agree that it's, that, that, that but... really we shouldn't be benchmarking. And there's a huge problem. Uh, Richard and I laugh about this often. Like, what are, what are, why, like billionaires like what motivates them is it that they're looking at the billionaires list and they've seen they've dropped three slots down on the like if that's what's motivating people it's a screwed up world yeah. <laughs> you know i mean that yeah, shouldn't it's, be it's really bad and as and as tony robbins put it you know my hero uh he always says you know you can find fulfillment in life if you uh if you do the progress in whatever area you define uh, but progress is the condition for fulfillment. 
and, whether it is in business or private and, life. And there's a tremendously important lesson for anyone listening, because often when people go into business, obviously, let's say one of the benchmarks of business success is profit and money. There's no question, and to a business that doesn't make a profit isn't a business, it's a hobby. But um, if you're going into business and you're competitive, you're never going to be the richest guy or the richest woman. You know, there's always going to be, obviously you might be Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, but realistically that's that's not going to happen. So you're never going to be happy if you're aiming to be the richest. So figure out why you wanted that money and what it whether it was freedom with your time or whether it was showing your school friends that you hated that you're more successful than them whatever it is you have I see you grinning at that how do your school friends look at you are they surprised that you're doing as well as you're doing or did they always know you were the rock star mm, you know I don't really feel like a rock star I I told you I I was feeling down for many years uh uh, because you know, uh, I was hearing for many years that I'm not doing good. So, uh, from so who? I, from I, who are you hearing that from? Uh, you know, uh, I I uh, really had to do this exercise on myself um, right. to find the right motivation, find the right balance and comparison. I don't know how people look at me. Um, probably they think I'm successful. You know, I I still find there is lots of things I I, I could do and should do. Um, but probably I'm not, you know, uh, that far away from, from everybody else, uh, in terms of success. So, um, I don't think it's, it's this stage of success that really, uh, sets me apart from, from my school friends. Uh, yeah, probably I was you're, probably you're humbled. I think you're very unique person. I think you have a very unique story. I can't imagine a lot of people, but it doesn't mean you're better or worse. It's just in that, in that context of society, you know what I mean? That they're measuring things based on those things. You've done a lot of stuff. I would say you're atypical, at least we have to say you're atypical, Andre. <laughs> that's good, yeah, that's, that's what drives me. You know, I, I don't really accept status quo, like I said at the beginning, yeah. and I really don't accept no as an answer. So I really strive for finding the ways to do things. Uh, now, as we discussed, I didn't think, you know, my math competition was um, first uh, exercised in that. But indeed, it seems like uh, it was the first, uh, you know, um, way or uh, f first experience in this matter. But, um, but yeah, uh, I may be atypical in saying I don't accept uh, certain things. I, I, want, uh, I want different solutions. I want different lifestyle. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what I'm after, the lifestyle, right? Not only money, but the lifestyle. And what about your children? Because they're going to grow up in a very different home than you grew up in. Do you, are you worried about the impact it will have on their motivation to be in a sort of, maybe not fabulously wealthy, but an affluent household? Will you, will that, have you got plans for how to deal with that? Because that's quite an issue in Poland. You know, I think uh, um, there are different motivations to work, right? Um, Sometimes I was uh, I was asked why do you work I, why would you work when you sell a company right uh, and one of the answers can be well because you want to show to your children that work has a certain value and work ethics has a certain value and also the way you present work and uh, and basically how you deliver value to the marketplace which is to other people and how you help them solve problems through your work well I think this is a, a good education this is this is what I would like them understand right so um staying uh, humble and then at the same time staying um uh 
pretty precise about what we have learned in life and how this life functions, I think it can really help them a lot. Um, of course, the, the uh, condition for them to go to the right way is they respect all the people, they understand the value of money, the value of work and everything. But I think this is what we really teach by example. Uh, so that's what you know makes me wake, wake up as well and, and uh, go to work and do the uh, um, good, um, uh, whatever, good work and uh, provide the value in the right way uh, to the marketplace. Like we, like we say, you know, uh, business is solving people's problems at profit. And if you do it with respect to your personal values, then it's really a success story, right? So if you can teach this to children, I think that's, that's great. Awesome. Richard, any uh, final well, I just, questions? I, I was just, well, I think in a moment we're getting towards the end, but there's a question usually Kimon asked, I thought he was going to ask it, which is about the role of luck in your life and whether you think you're a lucky person or how much of what you've achieved and independently of whether you're very successful, I think you're being humble and modest and not exaggerating, but in my eyes, you've certainly achieved a lot. Was that due more to luck or is it actually something you have a lot of control over? Uh, I think you ha you have to help luck, right? You uh, you need to not accept lots of answers to get to the lucky answer, right? <laughs> Which you can call luck. Uh, of course, there is surely a, a certain element that we could call luck because some things happen and we don't really know uh, uh, how come it uh, uh, it happened or how come we arrived at this place. Uh, but I really believe we, we have to help luck with, uh, with our work, effort and, you know, consistency uh, and, um, you know, the real motivation to get the things done. I can tell you when I was buying out investors uh, last December, uh, virtually all banks I contacted uh, declined, right? It was COVID and they were super afraid of giving money to anyone. And uh, I said, no, I want to sign this deal before, before the end of the year. And I got so many um, negative responses from, uh, from lots of uh, money sources that, because this was really difficult time, um, that uh, we could have given up, but, but we said, no, we, we will surely do it. And, and we found the way to do it. So uh, it was quite lucky, of course, that, uh, uh, we could have combined all the elements together and it played well, um, but it surely, uh, you know, required a lot of motivation to stay on track. Um, so I think luck is important and you also have to help it. Thank you. So I'm, 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 I'm good, Kimon. I don't know if you want to move towards wrapping this up, Kimon. Yeah. So just let me take the opportunity, Andre, um, uh, I, I have to say thanks to before i say thank you to you uh, i wanted to say thank you to the listeners who took the time they spent an hour and i don't actually never know how long this is an hour and 15 or whatever minutes of their very very busy day to sit and listen to us and to learn Andre's story which i think was fascinating um I want to thank my daughter uh here's a plug for you Andre. if you ever need a a, a graphic designer video editor magda fantakita is my daughter she does the video editing for us uh, we have an intern that works for Richard. Her name is Magda Buiskosch. She does the PR and promotion for us. She's 17 years old, I believe, and is probably going to do something really cool with her life. She's a very entrepreneurial young, young lady, and so she helps us out 
Um, obviously, the people at MBN who produce this and do all the technical stuff to get this online for us. Um, so if you enjoyed this, please subscribe at MBN, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And obviously, if you liked it, please comment, like, love, share, or whatever you can do in social media to uh, to support us. Um, and obviously, Anjay, thank you. Like, I've known you, you for many years, and... Um, the, you know, I, I learned. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. No, I learned a lot about. I learned a lot about you. I mean, and and I'm 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 really am fascinated. I think you have a really interesting story, and like you have all this incredibly cool experience, and you're still so young. And I'm I I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're the next Tony Robbins. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean the way you're going. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you for the so invitation. Much. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Kimon.